Welcome to the Stonelaw Church Podcast. I'm Neil Watson. And whether you are a regular worshipper with us, or whether you just listen to this podcast, I pray that the, the words of the message would be a real blessing to you, and that it would bring you closer to God as you experience more of the love of Jesus in your life. Paul's letter to the Romans uh, isn't one that we've really touched upon much. Oh, uh, time here. Um, but given the nature of things that have gone on over the last week or so, I felt led to change what I'd planned originally um, in the run-up to harvest um, to focus in on this particular passage uh, that reminds us that we are saved by the blood of Jesus and his willingness to lay down his life for us. That even in tough times, we can draw hope and receive peace. You'll see that I've titled the, the sermon this morning, Peace and Hope, as we look. And I hope that that's what you receive uh, this morning as we look at this small part of a very big and important letter. A lot of people, when they think of the, the Gospels, especially John's Gospel, uh, will see them as being filled with, with love and God showing his love for us. And, and that's in there. And on the other hand, they might look at Paul's letter to the Romans and see it as just being filled with theology and law and justice, and it's a bit of a dry read. It can be quite difficult to read at times. But this passage this morning kind of bucks that trend. Now, it wouldn't be Paul if all of that stuff wasn't in there, because it is. But he speaks of love, and he focuses in on God's love for us. Paul shows us that our faith requires perseverance. We need to persevere with our faith. That, that while the world doesn't stop, and we are not immune from the various struggles that are out there, that we don't stop, that we, we persevere in our faith, that our faith journey is, is like a, a marathon rather than a sprint. And we've probably all had relationships where they're a bit fraught, they're really difficult, and we need to persevere with them. But we also will have had relationships where, where it's just, it feels so right and we get along and we just feel so built up when we're in the presence of that other person that we are just, we love chatting to them, we love the conversations, they really just build us up. And that's because we are actually created, created beings for relationship and community that God always intended for us. We're not meant to live in isolation, that we are created for relationship and created for community. And that's why when we've seen some of the things on the TV over the last week, this collective gathering to mourn the Queen, that community, 
because that's what we are created for. We're not created to be by ourselves. And that's why it was so, so difficult for us during the the worst of the the COVID pandemic, where we had to isolate from our, our family and our friends. And it was incredibly difficult for us. And that's because we're created for relationship. Always the original plan. We're not designed to be separate from one another. And that's why, this is where I'm going off script already. Um, A couple of minutes in, but anyway. It's just kind of, I've kind of felt a prompt there. The fact is that we are created for community. We're created for that relationship. And that's why it's incredibly important that we gather as church. You know, I've got a couple of friends who, who would suggest that they don't need to, to come to church to be a Christian. And you might be able to do all the things by yourself, but you miss out. You miss out on that completeness because we are gathering as church. Now, whether that's you at home or whether we're here, it's important that we gather together. Now, back to the, back to the script. Because we are created for that relationship, and when it broke down, something needed to happen. God needed to do something because we couldn't do it ourselves. Because when we have these relationships with other people, it's wonderful. And the most wonderful relationship we can have is with our Heavenly Father. And Paul's letter to the Romans focuses in on that relationship. This relationship that that we have with our Father that is now no longer broken, that it has been restored that it can't ever be broken or distant, just like how our relationships can be here on earth. Paul opens up the section by saying that we have been justified through our faith and that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God, that we can come to him as a, a child to a father. And the thing is, that can be quite difficult for us to imagine. Difficult for us to accept that the, that the creator of the universe and everything in it would be concerned with me, little old me. Can act as a, as a real barrier to us. Can't really get our head around it. It's difficult to accept that God would care about little old me. And we move into verse 2, where he says, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. We have access. That's what Paul says, access. And it's no surprise that he uses this word, because that early church in Rome was a mixture of of Gentiles and Jewish Christians, Jewish followers of Jesus. And the Jewish Christians at the time would have immediately understood what Paul was getting at. Because you see, up until that point, up until Jesus went to the cross and was risen risen from the grave, it was only the high priests that would have had access to God on behalf of the people. 
They were the ones that went into the temple, into the holy of holies, on behalf of the people. They'd been set apart to do that. But now, but now, through our faith in the one who opened that up, we have access to our Heavenly Father. All through what Jesus did. And while we might be shaken by this idea that, that this big God would care about us, we can sometimes also be guilty of going the other way, of maybe becoming a bit too familiar with God, a bit too chummy to the point where we forget that God is powerful. We can sometimes forget that. They get a little bit too comfortable of just being a, a little bit of a bigger version of us. And we are made in God's image, but we're not God. And we're never to become too over-familiar that we forget how awesome God is. But equally, as I've highlighted, we don't go to the other extreme and think that he doesn't care about us, because that's not true either. We need to navigate that middle ground that middle ground, where we can understand that we have this, we can enter into this intimacy, that closeness with God, but at the same time have that reverence and understanding of how powerful God is. The one thing that remains constant is that there are many things in our world that don't make sense, and they contribute to how we feel about God at particular times. There are things that we just don't understand. They don't make sense. And these are the things that are referred to in the Scriptures as the mysteries of God. Things that we won't be able to understand this side of glory. That we one day we will understand. But until that point, they become this mystery to us. As we're told in 1 Corinthians by Paul, as he says it, at the moment, all we see is we see and don't see the fullness of God revealed. We see it in part, but one day we will. We will see it. It will be revealed to us. But until that point, we might start to use phrases like, I just don't understand how this has been allowed to happen. I don't know how God let this happen. Or, where was God in that? The thing is, there are just things that we can't understand this side of glory. It doesn't make them okay. But that's when we need to put our faith to work. And it requires us to persevere. Because the thing is, faith by its very de definition is a, a complete trust or confidence in someone or, or something. And in a religious context, it's about putting our complete trust in and our confidence in God. That even although we might not be able to see certain things or have all the answers, that we place our faith and our confidence and our trust in God who does. However, one of the, the, the accusations uh, from a few of my friends is that, that I have a blind faith. They, they, they don't recognize 
Jesus is their Lord and Savior yet. But they will. And I keep praying for them. But they say, I've got a blind faith. And I disagree with that. I don't have a blind faith at all. Because there are many things in here, in the scriptures, and things that are in my life that I can look and point to. And I say, I have a God that's a God at work. I might not be able to understand everything all of the time, but I know that I have a God who is active and who loves me very much. And it's not a blind faith because I've got evidence for it in my own life. But in those times, it requires us to have that strong faith. requires us to, to, to have a strong faith muscle. You know, you go to the gym to build up, well, some people go to the gym to, to build up muscles. Um, but as Christians, we're required to have a strong faith muscle. And the way we do that is we, we, we persevere through tough times. We read about our amazing God and we allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us through the Scriptures. As we gather to worship Him, we start to build up our faith muscle. It doesn't make it easy, it makes it easier. So this idea of having an all-powerful God and that we have access to Him just as a child does to a father, if that's not enough to, to try and get your head round, Paul doesn't stop. He keeps going. And in verse 3, Depending on your translation, he says we either, we either celebrate in our sufferings or we boast in them. Neither of which seem like a, a logical place to go. To boast or to celebrate in our sufferings seems a really odd thing to say. Why should we boast in our suffering? You know, I've said to you before that, and I shared a little bit with David before, <laughs> before the service, that Whenever I used to prep for exams or for essays, and I'm not advocating this, so any of you, don't, I'm not advocating it, but anyway, anytime I would prep for exams or for an essay and it's bled into my sermon preparation, is it takes me to, to some very weird places for a while. And I like to justify it to myself, and I refer to it as good procrastination. Not what my parents thought it was, and it certainly wasn't what Elizabeth used to say to me either. But I like to see it as good procrastination, you know, where I get to learn new things, although sometimes completely irrelevant to what I should have been looking at. But it's good knowledge to have, and it probably is what makes me uh, a good teammate in a quiz team. I have a lot of nonsense up here. You might remember when I shared with you that when I was looking at Psalm 23, I ended up spending about two hours looking at sheep and learning about shepherding and sheep. Good knowledge to have. Well, this week was no different, where I spent some time looking at how gold is refined. I'm not going to bore you with all the details, but, but it's a fascinating process where it gets properly melted and all of the impurities and all the bits and pieces that need to come out of it are, are drawn out through this refining 
process. And then you're left with this precious piece of gold. And we can argue the, the worth of a piece of metal till we're blue in the face. But we've looked at it and it's nice and shiny. And we, we've placed a high value on it as human beings. But you're left with this precious piece of gold. It's a wonderful process. And Paul explains over the next few verses that there's a refining process that goes on with our faith and his followers of Jesus. Where he says, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit and has been given to us. He says that we learn to, to persevere, and that when we persevere, our character is strengthened and built. And then once our character is built, we get to that place where we are able to understand our, our hope and where we place that hope and that it doesn't disappoint. That when we come up against these times of, of trial, these, these real struggles that everybody goes through, we understand that those things aren't from God but can be used by God and us to strengthen our faith muscle. And that's why when we're going through these periods of, of struggle, we eventually learn to be able to get through it. It's like anything that we do where you, you, you learn from, I'm not going to use the word mistakes, but you do learn from your mistakes and you learn from, from things that happen to you, things that you do and you start to, to not do the same thing or you do the same thing if it's the, the right thing. We learn as we go. But we also learn that we're not alone. That if anything has, has come across over the last week is that 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 collective grief and, and mourning that's happened is a recognition that we aren't islands, that we don't all have to suffer alone, that we are part of something bigger, that humankind, we have a shared humanity. And that means that we go through struggles just as we do in terms of joy. But God is with us throughout it all. And as we are going through that refining process that Paul speaks of, in sort of verses 3, 4, and, and 5, it's at that point that we, we, we realize that God is with us, and that we can't fix everything by ourselves, that we need Him in our lives, but also that we have grown our character that we are learning to persevere, and that we learn that it starts to change us. We might start to be doing things that we didn't do before. We might get to a place where we, where we admit that we're struggling, that we need help, where we've tried and tried and tried to, to do it on our own for so long that we're exhausted. But through this refining process, we understand that we don't have to do it on our own. And that we're able to admit that, that we need help. And then go and seek that help. 
our character starts to change. We might start to get a bit more bold, where our faith starts to get stronger. We might start to feel it easier to, to share the good news of Jesus with people. And point to things in our life where we've seen God acting. Then when we're accused of having a blind faith, we say, well, hold on a minute. I've got evidence here in my own life. It's your testimony of where God has worked in your life. You become a bit more bold. We might have shied away from, from situations or, or seeking help, but we get to that point where we're able to accept it and receive it. We're able to hold on to that hope that is found in Jesus, that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, and we're able to hold to it, that the God who delivered you in the past will continue to deliver you throughout the rest of your life and into eternity. You see, when we've been realigned and refined, we're able to start seeing things clearer, starting to become more resilient. And I love the, the next few verses. They're some of my favorite verses in the scriptures. Like I was saying earlier, it's not enough to just say that I love you. God shows us that he loves us. Here we are in verses 6 and throughout. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God is a God of action. Because at just the right time, Jesus came. He was born in Bethlehem. At just the right time, he started his ministry in Galilee. At just the right time, he challenged the Pharisees and the religious leaders. At just the right time, he went to the cross. At just the right time, he went to the cross and died for us. At just the right time, God intervened. God, who is the, the creator of the universe and everything in it, could have just rubbed the board clean and said, I'm starting over. That didn't work. But that's not what he did. He loved his creation too much. Didn't want to have to do a, a do-over. Or for you golf golfers, didn't want a mulligan. God wants us to love him despite the numerous barriers that we place in the way. He's never going to force us. He wants us to come to that conclusion and recognition ourselves. Not because we've been made perfect, because we're still flawed, but he wants us to choose to go to him. God chose to personally come into our world to interact with us, to interact with his creation. That was always the intention. If we go back to the, the book of Genesis, we read of him walking through the garden with Adam, interacting 
with his creation. It was always the intention. And at just the right time, he came in and fixed what was broken. Verse 8. But God proves his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Chose to enter into our world. And the person of Jesus chose to, to go to the cross in our place. Just the right time to show us his love. So that there would be witnesses to it who would be able to go away and, and share it with others. That over 2,000 years later, there'd be somebody in Rutherglen talking about him. And there'd be people listening. And that they might go out and tell others about how amazing our God is and how much he loves us. That while we didn't even deserve it, God did it anyway. This verse 9 says, we've been justified by his blood. That we'd be saved through him from the wrath of God. And it continues on. For if we were enemies... That while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more surely, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life. More than that, we even boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom we have now received reconciliation. There was nothing that we could give. Nothing that we could do to create that reconciliation. And that is the beauty of grace. The grace, as it says, in which we stand. That we are reconciled. That Jesus purchased our salvation. As he went to the cross on our behalf. Took on the sins of the world. Took on the punishment that we deserved. And the thing is we have a tendency to only really reflect on that at Easter. But that's ages away. We need to reflect on it all the time. But as I said before, we do not celebrate the cross. That is the symbol. We celebrate the glorious resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Lord and Savior of the world. And we now stand as people of that resurrection with our hope being found in the one who went to the cross that couldn't contain him. And the one who went to the grave that couldn't contain him. The one who has brought our salvation, brought in reconciliation with our Father in heaven. And that's where we draw our peace from. When we come to that knowledge of who and where we place our hope in, we receive peace. And remember that God doesn't just show, doesn't just show, doesn't just say he loves us. He also shows us. God proves his love for us. That in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Shall we pray? Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, we give all thanks and praise that you were able to demonstrate your love for us, that you came at just the right time. Lord, we have no idea of what is on the horizon, but we hold on to the hope that is found in our loving God, a loving God who acts, not a distant God, but a God who cares enough to come and interact with us, to understand how we feel, to understand the pain. And we give all thanks and praise that through the work of the cross we now stand in that grace. Lord, we pray that we would be refined, that we would learn to persevere, that our characters would be refined to the point where our hope is strong in you and that we can see things clearly, that we would become more resilient as each day passes. And all this we ask in your precious and mighty name, Jesus. Amen.